Good morning, Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to our Saturday morning scripture study. I'm Ross. We're coming live to you from St. Francisville, Louisiana, and uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Look, if you're watching this live, stick around after the class. We're going to meet on a Zoom call where we discuss the contents of the class. So if you're here towards the end of the class, you'll see the link. Not going to be hard to follow. You go there, you'll join me and plenty of other people as we discuss the lesson today. So what is the lesson today? We are in our fourth class in a series, an ongoing series on Isaiah. But it's not just the book of Isaiah that we're talking about. We are focusing on chapters 1 through 39 of the book of Isaiah, primarily those texts which are associated with the 8th century BCE. So beyond a study of the book of Isaiah, we'll get to chapters 40 through 66 in another study, but right now we're focused on a very specific period, and uh, we're focused more than on the book of Isaiah as we've received it, but more so on the life and times, the world and words of Isaiah ben Amotz. So that's where we're at. We're in class number four, and our focus last week, at least in part, primarily, was on the birth of a child. We talked about the birth of several children, but we, we were really focused on the birth of a child in chapter seven of Isaiah. Now, this child, or the conception of this child, or the name of this child, or perhaps all of the above some way, were to be a sign. Now, in Hebrew, the word sign is ot. We're going to talk a little bit more about signs today, because today's class I've titled Signs and Wonders. Signs and Wonders. So Isaiah chapter 7, this child that uh, is, is talked about in Isaiah chapter 7 is to be a sign, a sign that was relevant to that present contemporary, uh, to the circumstances in the days of Akaz, in those times at that time. The child's name, according to the mother, was to be Emmanuel, Emmanuel. The Hebrew meaning of the name Emmanuel is with us is God. Emmanuel, with us. Imanu, with us. El, typically translated into English as God. Or you, you may, uh, if you prefer a less literal, you might say God with us. Right? But the idea is that this child's name represents God being among the people in some way. You can understand how this could be taken many ways by different groups of people. But we're going to really drill down on this today. Now, aside from the well-known passage, the well-known Emmanuel passage in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the child's name, Emmanuel, also appears in two other texts two more times that give us a little bit more context. That's where we're going to really focus today because we're going to move into chapter 8 of Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 
mentions this child as Emmanuel, but as you follow the narrative, it doesn't end at chapter 7. Remember, chapters are a rather late convention. The chapters weren't there in the, let's call it, the original. So as we move out of chapter 7, same story, we're talking about a, a Syro-Ephraimite situation. As we move into chapter 8, we're dealing with a text which comes to us as in the first person. In the first person. Very interesting. You'll, you'll get this language that comes across where it seems to be, it's at least presented as, Isaiah speaking in the first person. Here is the message of chapters, say, 7, 8, 9, pushing further into the text. The message is this, Assyria is coming. Assyria is coming. The threat of Assyria is looming, and it's right on, it's, it's actually right in the presence of everything that we deal with. We're going to begin this morning in Isaiah chapter 8. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 5. Isaiah chapter 8 in verse 5, and I'm going to read through verse 10. Isaiah 8, 5. <clears throat> and the Lord, and this is uh, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, and, and the Lord spoke to me again, saying, since this people refuses the waters of Shiloh that go softly and rejoices in resin and the son of Ramalia, now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up upon them the waters of the river, strong and abundant, namely the king of Ashur, Assyria, and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks, and he shall sweep through Yehuda. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. Uh, be broken. Be broken up, you people, and be dismayed. Give ear, all you afar countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, you shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. The message here in chapter 8, in Isaiah chapter 8, is saying, again, it's in the first person. The point seems to be you, the people uh, being addressed, have spurned the water source right here. The very way in which you'll be sustained during these troublesome times is present. Now, what we know historically is that during this very time, during this very time, the water source, the waters of Shiloh are actually being brought into the city to sustain the people in times of conflict. Remember, the Gihon Spring, the main water source, is outside the ancient city wall. We know that during this time, uh, during the time of Isaiah, particularly the days of Hezekiah, because Hezekiah is credited with completing this building project of bringing the water in, the idea here is that you've rejected these waters that can sustain you, and you've leaned on Assyria. 
So Achaz, what we find is that Achaz is, he, he wants help to be relieved from the imminent danger in the north of the king of Aram and the king of, of Israel. So who does he go to? He goes to Assyria. So the message is, if you reject the sustaining water of Shiloh, in other words, what you have here, meaning God's help, you're going to get water. You're going to get, you want water from the Euphrates, meaning Assyria? <clears throat> it's going to rush in, and it's going to come up. The water is going to come up. It's going to be to the neck. Now, the underlying message, the underlying message is that uh, you're going to be so close. You're tempting fate, basically. You are pushing things too far. You've rejected the help from God. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 13. Isaiah 7, 13. Now remember, in this particular text, this is the context is Isaiah has met with Achaz, and he's telling him uh, to ask for a sign. Achaz feigns this humility. It's almost as if he says, uh, I would never ask of anything. No, I'm not going to ask it. And, and so now listen to what Isaiah says, verse 13. And he, Isaiah said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign, okay? So this is Isaiah 7, 14, it rolls into. But the idea is that Achaz seeks help from Assyria. He's been offered. God is going to be with them, and this is the message that Isaiah brings to him. But remember, Achaz is not a good king. Achaz is not a godly king, and Achaz does not listen to what Isaiah tells him. Uh, he, rather than go to God, rather than look towards the gentle waters of Siloah, he's going to get the waters from the Euphrates. Now I want you to go with me to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 16. I'm going to cover a lot of ground this morning. 2 Kings 16, and I want to go to verse 5. <clears throat> and it says, beginning in verse 5, Then Rezin, uh, let me look at something in the Hebrew, Then Rezin, actually, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war. And they besieged Achaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, King Retzin, king of Aram, recovered Elot to Aram and drove the men of Yehuda from Elot. And the Adomim came to Elot and dwelt there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglat-Pileser, king of Asher, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and out of the hand of the king of Israel who've risen against me. And Achaz took silver and gold that was in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Asher. And in Hebrew, Ashur is Assyria. 
And the king of Assyria hearkened to him, for the king of Assyria Assyria went up against Damasek uh, and took it and carried the people of it captive to Kir and slew Retzin. So we are diving into the midst of this battle, basically. And because Ahaz refuses the gentle waters of Siloam, and, and rather than accept the help offered to him by Isaiah, he leans, and here we get an example of what's going on in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, is Ahaz goes rather to uh, the king of Assyria for help. The king of Assyria does come in to help. Now notice, he has to be paid off by Ahaz, and later we read that Ahaz goes to Assyria to meet with him. He is in bed with this Assyrian group. The Assyrian does come in and, uh, and take care of the little problem. In fact, uh, the Assyrians kill uh, Retzin. Now, despite, despite Ahaz looking to Assyria for help, Judah will be spared. Even though Ahaz is wicked, even though Ahaz is bad, even though he does things that are contrary to what God desires, God has promised through the name of this child that he will not destroy Judah. Notice the child's name is Emmanuel. With us is God. When it describes the waters of the Euphrates rising to the neck, the image you should get is that it's dangerous, it's dangerous, but they won't drown. It says the waters will not overtake you. Why? Because Emmanuel, because God is with you. But it's going to be close. You're going to feel like you could drown at any minute. But the reason that God is with Ahaz, the reason that God is with the plural, uh, us, Judah, is because of an old promise an old promise that God made when the kingdom was divided, all the way back when in the, the days following the death of Solomon, you remember Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the split of the tribes. One of the things that we're told there is that he's going to keep a remnant basically in Judah for the house of David. So the waters from the Euphrates... Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, that we spoke about a moment ago that I read, will reach the neck, but God is with us. Now, not so with the northern kingdom. What we read is that ultimately the northern kingdom would be no more. Now, all of this is essential for understanding the world and words of Isaiah. Judah will not be defeated but the north will. The north will not make it. As God put it to Isaiah in chapter 7 and verse 8, I'll just tell you, you can put this in your notes. It says, uh, Ephraim will be no more a people. Um, the northern kingdom, Israel, will be no more a people. Hmm. I want you to remember that. You might want to write that down. But Judah would be spared. 
of Ephraim, of Israel, of the northern kingdom, what we read is that only a remnant, only a remnant will make it. I want you to go with me to Isaiah 10, Isaiah 10 and verse 20. <clears throat> and we're going to read through verse 23, Isaiah 10, verse 20. And it will come to pass on that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again rely upon him that smote them. By the way, that's Assyria. Assyria is the one that smote the north. They won't rely uh, on them, but shall rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. <clears throat> For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. Total destruction is decreed. <clears throat> but overflowing with righteousness. For it is determined and decreed, the Lord God of hosts shall do it. So what are we looking at here? <clears throat> we are dealing with, excuse me, <clears throat> we are dealing with a promise that a remnant of the north will return. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21 and 22, interestingly enough, when it talks about a remnant will return, the name that is, the words that, that make that up in Hebrew, Sha'ar Yashuv, a remnant will return, a remnant will return, are the name of Isaiah's son. All the way back in Isaiah 7. So Isaiah 7 through 10 are connected very closely. In Isaiah 7, uh, uh, Isaiah is told, bring your son Sha'ar Yeshuv. What's his name mean? A remnant will return. So when you get to chapter 10, it says that a remnant will return. You see, it's tied to the name of Isaiah's son. In fact, I want to look at in Isaiah chapter 7. I want to read Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 3. Isaiah 7, verse 3. Just so you get the beginning of this uh, Sha'ar Yeshuv. And then, then said the Lord to Yeshiahu, to Isaiah, Go out to meet Akaz, you and Sha'ar Yeshuv, your son at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool in the highway of the washer's field or the fuller's field and say to him. So, so this is the beginning of the narrative in chapter 7 where Isaiah, Sha'ar Yeshuv in tow, are going to meet Achaz and explain to him what he needs to do or how it needs to go. This leads to this meeting with Achaz in 7.3 with Sha'ar Yeshuv, uh, at the upper end of the conduit, uh, when they meet, it's, it's going to lead to the sign 
of Isaiah 7, 14. Sha'ar, Yeshuv, uh, and the other children are for signs and wonders. I want you to go with me now to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Isaiah 8, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> Bind up the testimony. Seal the Torah, or teaching, among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope for him. Behold, I and the children whom Jehovah, or the Lord, has given me are for signs and and for wonders in Israel, from the Lord of hosts, who dwells in Mount Sion. Remember that Emmanuel, too, the birth of Emmanuel was to be a sign, an oath. So here in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16 through 18, it says that, uh, the children of Isaiah are for signs and wonders from the Lord of hosts. Now, this particular uh, phrase, signs and wonders, appears 12 times in the Hebrew Bible. And I want to go through most of those quickly, just hitting the verses which include signs and wonders, because it's going to shed some light on what the, uh, what the statement of Isaiah means when he says, my children are for signs and wonders. So we're going to start in the book of Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 7 and verse 3. <clears throat> Exodus 7 and verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So God's signs and wonders, he says, will be multiplied in Egypt. Now we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Again, I'm going to go through these quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 34. <clears throat> Has God ventured to go and take a nation from the midst of another nation by trials by signs, by wonders, by war and by mighty hand and by stretched out arm, by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So what we're seeing so far is that these signs and wonders are God's intervention into the affairs of men on behalf of bringing about his purposes, and plans. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 22. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our very eyes. Look at Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 19. <clears throat> You shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, and the mighty hand, the stretched out arm, 
whereby the Lord your God brought you out. Look with me at Deuteronomy 34. Again, we're just going to hit these and then we'll wrap it. Deuteronomy 34 and verse 11. I'll start in 10, but 11 is the verse you want. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt and to all his servants and to all his land. I want to pick up two more from the Psalms. Uh, Go with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and verse 43. Psalm 78, verse 43. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And he had turned their canals into blood and their floods so that they could not drink. And it goes on, it recounts the uh, awesome plagues associated with God's redemption of his people. Now look at Psalm 105. Psalm 105 and verse 26. <clears throat> he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. So if you notice, and there are a few others, I'll give these to you for your notes, but we're not going to look these up. But write these down. Uh, Psalm 135, 9, uh, Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 10, Jeremiah 32, 20. That most of these are tied to, as you just saw, God intervening on behalf of his people to rescue them from an oppressor. Okay? So if we think about that, in terms of what does Isaiah mean when he talks about his children's names, what it seems to be suggesting is that that too, that the children's names are going to be describing something related to the redemption of the children of Israel. Now, there's one other passage that deals with signs and wonders in the book of Isaiah And I do want to look at this one. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 20. Uh, It's one that you might not know about, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah 20, beginning in verse 1. Strange prophetic story this is. And it says, In the year that Tartan came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him, and fought against Ashdod, and took it. At the same time, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the son of Amot, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from off your loins, and put off your shoe from your foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years, For a sign and a wonder upon Egypt and upon Cush, so shall the king of Assyria 
lead away the prisoners of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. This is one of the strange episodes in the lives of the prophets. You can imagine that this people witnessing this in the streets, you know, and I've often, I'm not being silly, but you can imagine you're walking your family. Kids, cover your face. It's Isaiah. You know, this prophet's walking down the street naked. It's a sign and a wonder, ultimately depicting that the children, uh, that the people of that time will be carried away captive in similar state. Now, if, if we look at uh, we're not going to go there to read it, but if you look at 2 Kings 18, uh, verse 17 and following, what you'll find is that this period of time is around the time of Hezekiah. So uh, what, what we really know is that Assyria had Sargon II followed by Sennacherib. So Isaiah 20, if you're trying to chronicle this and put it in the right place chronologically, you would tie that to 2 Kings 18, where uh, Isaiah 20 is right before 2 Kings 18, the days of Hezekiah. So, biblically speaking, signs and wonders um, are acts of God whereby he steps into, he intervenes into history on behalf of bringing about his plans and purposes, all right? Or he, he personally doesn't step in, but he brings that to fruition through the agency of one of his prophets. Now, the children of Isaiah's time, <clears throat> again, we touched on this a little bit last class, but I want to take it a little bit further. Isaiah saw his children as signs and wonders in Israel. Now, we know of two children, certainly. We know of two. Uh, one is Sha'ar Yeshuv. Sha'ar Yeshuv is, is with him in Isaiah chapter uh, 7, which we're going to go to again in a moment. And then we also know of another child named Maher Shalal Hashbaz, and uh, the speed, uh, the booty, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. It, it depicts impending trouble. Now, when we talk about Sha'ar Yeshuv, let's go back and look at that again. I want you to go with me again to 7 3, Isaiah 7 3. Isaiah 7 3. <clears throat> And it says, uh, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Achaz, you and Sha'ar Yeshuv, your son. Okay, so there's one of his children. Now, we're going to have to get a little bit more. We've got to go back to Isaiah 10. So we're going to look one more time, a little bit closer this time, to Isaiah 10, uh, verse 21 and 22. Isaiah 10. 21, 22. Notice it says, A remnant shall return even 
the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. Total destruction is decreed, but overflowing with righteousness. So a remnant is to return, and this prophecy in Isaiah 10 uses Isaiah's son's name, Sha'ar Yeshuv. Sha'ar Yeshuv. Now, notice, I want you to pick this up too. And we're going to talk about this more, particularly in the Zoom. It says, a remnant to return, but not just to return, to return to what or to whom? It says, to the mighty God. To the mighty God. Now, mighty God, El Gibor, is only used one other time. Isaiah 9 6. I want you to go with me back to Isaiah 9, 6. And we're going to read this. Um, Isaiah 9, 6 says, let's, let's back up to 5. 6 is the verse I want you to see in your notes. Uh, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government is upon his shoulder, and his name is called Pele Yoetz El Gibor Aviad Sar Shalom. Now, in that name of this child, who is this child? This child has within its name El Gibor. It doesn't mean that the child is going to be God, the mighty God. That is not at all what it's saying. What it's saying is, this name celebrates because it is part of the sign and wonder in that time. Now, who is the child of Isaiah 9, 6? That's a question. You have to figure that out. You have to solve that and let me know. Isaiah chapter 8, when we look at uh, the child of Isaiah chapter 8, whose name is Maher Shalal Hashbaz, um, is the son of Isaiah and the prophetess. Now look with me at chapter 10, verse 5. Verse 5 through 11. The reason now I'm shifting to this child of Isaiah, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, is because that name means uh, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Now we're going to see that in a prophecy, that name. Chapter 10, verse 5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, for the staff in their hand is my indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil, to take the prey. You hear these are the words that we're looking for in Hebrew and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit, he means not so, neither does his heart think so. But it's in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. For he says, Are not my princes, all of them kings? Is not Kalno as Karkamesh? Is not Hamat as Arpad? Is not Shomran or Samaria as Damasek? 
as my hand has reached the kingdoms of the idols, whose carved idols did exceed those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not, as I have done to uh, Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? This gives us an insight into the attacking king of Assyria, uh, his thoughts. He's saying, basically, uh, we get, first of all, that, that the king of Assyria is in trouble. He, yes, he's the rod that God will use to punish, but as is often the case, he takes it too far. Now, remember, Judah will be saved, but the king of Assyria gets it in his head that just as I've done to Shomron, to Samaria, I'll also do to Jerusalem. And he tries. We get stories throughout. We get, particularly in the days of Hezekiah, you get this, this uh, story, this episode recounted in the Bible where the king of Assyria makes an effort to come upon uh, Jerusalem. But God is with us. Emmanuel. He tried to destroy. He tried to move in, but he couldn't. Now, since we're in Isaiah 10, I want you to look one more time at verse 22. <clears throat> Isaiah 10, 22. For though your people, Israel, be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. Sand of the sea. Israel is referred to the population, the massiveness of Israel is referred to as the sands of the sea in four texts. And we're going to look at those because even this is pointing towards something we have to pick up. We're going to start with uh, Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 22. 17, Genesis 22, 17, and let's see, okay, now in context, let me, let me back up to verse 16, but you need 17 for your notes, by myself have I sworn, says the Lord, because, now this is the, uh, this is speaking to Abraham, because you have done this thing, and not withheld your son, your only son, that I will exceedingly bless you. I will exceedingly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of its enemy. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, a lot of people, by the way, in later theology have this idea uh, because of a writing. Uh, that someone did that says that the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob that is promised, the promised seed is pointing to an individual, a coming Messiah. The New Testament makes this point. But in context, it's not talking about an individual. It's talking about a group. Your seed will be as numerous as the stars of the sky, the sands of the seashore. It's not an individual seed. It's talking about the, the great numbers that God has promised. Now, one more passage in Genesis. Look with me 
to Genesis 32, Genesis 32 and verse 12, Genesis 32 verse 12, we're looking at passages that have sand of the sea as uh, relates to Israel. And thou did say, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed like the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. All right. And then we have our passage in Isaiah 10, 22, which we've already read. And there's one more passage that I want to look at. And it's in the prophet Hosea. Hosea, uh, the first chapter of Hosea, in verse 10, Hosea 1.10, if you're in the Hebrew Bible, it's going to be chapter 2, verse 1, but yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass that instead of that which was said to them, you're not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Now, Hosea is a prophet at the same time as Isaiah. Hosea is in the north, but he's dealing with, he's prophesying about matters that have to do with Shomron or Samaria in the north and Jerusalem. Isaiah, at the same time, is prophesying about Judah and Jerusalem. So the two prophets, now there are actually four, remember, there are actually four. We have uh, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, and Micah. All four of these are prophesying at the same time. When it comes to these two, it's very interesting because there's something they have in common, and that is that their children uh, and the names of their children are relevant to the events of their day. So when we talk about Isaiah's children, uh, or more properly, the names of the children that are reported in Isaiah, particularly in Isaiah's chapter 7 through 10. Now, some might argue, I might be one of those, that these children are all Isaiah's children. I know that there are people who have different views on that. But Isaiah 8, 16 through 18, remember Isaiah says, the, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders. And we have all those children that are, that are right there together. There is Emmanuel. There is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. There is Pele, Yoitz, El Gibor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. All of these children right there. And the names of these children... In Isaiah 7 through 10, tell a story. Israel, here's the story. Israel, in the north, will be a spoil and a prey. Maher shalal chashbaz. And God will be with Judah. Emmanuel. So the north will be a spoil and a prey, but Judah, Emmanuel. The water's going to come to the neck but they'll be okay. It's going to get scary. Assyria is going to threaten, but they won't overcome. Now, the north, the tribes of Israel, Ephraim, the northern kingdom, 
though they are taken away, numbering as the sands of the sea. Remember Isaiah's other child? Sha'ar Yeshuv, a remnant will return. A remnant will return to El Gibor, which is part of the name of the child in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Now, just as Isaiah's children's names have prophetic meaning, they are for signs and wonders. They are tied to what God is going to do at that time. In those days, so are Hosea's children. Look with me. Uh, let's go to Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Now, again, the names of Hosea's children, as you'll see, also tell a story. The story, the details are not exact, but these two prophets are prophesying at the same time, and they're saying the same story, basically. So, uh, Hosea 1-2, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to you a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry. For the land has lewdly gone astray from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Divlaim, who conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, Call his name Yisrael. Yisrael. For yet a little while, and I will visit the blood of Yisrael upon the house of Yehu, and will bring the kingdom of the house of Israel to an end. And it shall come to pass on that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Israel. The ruin, the end of the kingdom of Israel and the end of Jehu's house, just for your notes, um, put these passages in your notes. I don't want to read them, but... Uh, 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 30, and 2 Kings 15 and verse 12, because they tell the story of the house of Yehu, Jehu, and how he was promised because of a certain action that he would have four kings. Those four kings run out in the days of Isaiah and Hosea. But look down at Hosea chapter 1 and verse 6. We're going to pick up uh, in verse 6 and read 6 and 7, Hosea 1, 6. And God said to him, I'm sorry, and she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruchama. Lo-Ruchama, which means no mercy. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel to forgive them at all. It's talking about the north the kingdom in the north, the house of Israel. Look, verse 7, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now, let me tell you how exact and precise this prophecy is. For the time, for the time, he says, Israel, the north, is going to be no more. Lo Ruchama, no mercy. 
But he says, but I will have mercy on Judah and I will save them. Guess what happens in that time? God saves Judah. Why? Emmanuel, because God is with us. You see, the water would reach to the neck, but it wouldn't overtake them. So you see that the children of Isaiah and the children of Hosea and their names, they're different, but they're telling the same story. They're telling that the north will be uh, speedy to the prey and the spoil. They'll be taken captive. But the south, God will have mercy on them. God is with us. This is exactly what happened. Now, I want to look, look with me. You can hold your hand here and uh, go with me to 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17, and <clears throat> we're going to go to verse 18. I just want to pick up two verses. You need to read all of this, uh, but 2 Kings 17, 18. Uh, Therefore, the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. You see, the north is taken captive. They're off the land, but Judah remains. Now look down at verse 23. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, uh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, Let's see. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away out of their own land to Assyria to this day. So the, the history of the time is that the northern tribes are taken away by Assyria, and Judah, although attacked and although there are skirmishes, and although the threat was very real, and it was close, God saved, just as he said he would, Judah. Go back to Hosea. We're going to pick up Hosea chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Now, when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. And God said, call his name Lo-Ami, Call his name Lo-Ami, not my people, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now, this is addressed to the north, the tribes of the north. And what people have to understand is the distinction between the two, and this is being enacted in the days of Isaiah. Isaiah is there to see this utter spoil taken, prey hastened, but he he knows, he sees that a remnant ultimately will return. But he, he he knows that Judah will be saved. Now the signs and wonders then, biblically, are... Acts of God. When God steps into history to bring about his plans and purposes, or he brings this about through the agency 
of a prophet, or as we see, he not only brings it about, but he shows that in advance through the naming of the children of these prophets. Now, I find it interesting that two prophets living at the same time, one with a woman that's referred to as a prophetess, the other with a woman referred to as a prostitute, tell the same story for the people of that time. The enemy will attack. The north will be decimated. They'll be taken away. But a remnant will return, and Judah will survive because Emmanuel. Don't miss next week's class. If you're live with me right now, I want you to join me in the Zoom. Join me in the Zoom. If you got the email, you have the link there. Otherwise, it will be posted in the chat. See me in the Zoom. Shabbat Shalom.